1: This episode contains discussions of sexual assault. Two women were murdered. One more narrowly escaped a savage attack. Their killer remained free and found his next victim on a social media app. That same app and this victim's family would prove to be his downfall. This week's episode is Serial Killer Khalil Wheeler-Weaver, Part 2. Well, this is where the lack of movement from authorities just doesn't matter anymore because we have a family that jumps in and forces them to act. I guess it still matters, but in this case, we have family just saying we're going to take the bull by the horns.
2: We've seen it in many cases we've covered that the police are moving slow or because of the victim, they aren't as invested in finding the killer and the victim's loved ones say then this becomes our mission We're our lives are on hold until we get justice for our loved one and what a final way you can help someone that means something to you you know i mean i should we all be that lucky to have people like that in our corner when the inevitably worst thing in the world can happen they're there for you
1: for real, and love so much, love somebody so much that you're willing to show up even in your own pain mm-hmm. and be there for them. And it made me very emotional watching the testimony, reading about how much these people meant to those who lost them. And then the flip side of it, watching the callousness with which they were all treated by not just their killer, but then also for a time, the authorities, until finally the alarm bells were rung enough that uh, everybody stepped in. We, well, they were rung by um, three women who said, not today. Not
2: today. Yeah. And then, as we'll see too, I mean, it really, three women that, you know, basically, not basically, they did catfish this guy to get enough evidence to bring him to arrest. But even before that, the women that we talked about in the last episode and their friends, getting license plate numbers, getting their phone numbers, like a army of dedicated
1: ride-or-die women are Mm -hmm. who brought this guy to justice. Exactly. And we'll see as we get down to his motives, possible motives, why he thought he targeted them and why he was wrong. Yep, absolutely. Well, if you haven't listened to
2: part one, you should probably go back and do that because there's a lot of information there that you're going to need to know. And then you can listen to the final part, part two, right now. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. 20 year old Sarah Butler was a college student at New Jersey City University in Jersey City, New Jersey, in the fall of 2016, roughly 20 miles away from her family's home in Montclair. The first in her family to attend college, Sarah had worked as a lifeguard, bartender, and babysitter to pay for her tuition. Her family was proud of Sarah's accomplishment, and her professors spoke highly of her. Professor Yasmin Chisholm recalled to
1: NJ.com. I can close my eyes and recall how bright her face was. My goodness, she smiled a lot. She had an infectious energy. Her dad, Victor, told reporters, Sarah was a very sweet girl. She loved to laugh. She loved to go. Just very free-spirited. In college, she was a media
2: arts major and found her true joy on stage dancing. Her mom told reporters from Crime Watch Daily
1: Whenever she's upset, she just goes right to the theater and she'd just
2: dance. Sarah was an incredible dancer, sometimes bringing her younger sister, Aaliyah, to tears just by watching her. The sisters were best friends and
1: super close. Aaliyah told reporters the two shared the same mind, same heart. And she was so beautiful on stage.
2: Beautiful smile, beautiful girl, loved to dance from a very early age. Her mom had immigrated from Jamaica, met her husband. Both children were born in the States. They lived in a probably lower middle class neighborhood in New Jersey. Uh, her, Her mom was a nanny for wealthier families, kind of on the other side of the tracks, and... Her dad was a bartender at a country club. So they both were kind of working for the wealthier people in their areas. But Sarah got into dance very young. They were walking down the street and saw the premier dance company in the windows, you know, rehearsing. And she was just enamored. And they went in right there and signed her up. And her mom said, ever since then, like, that's all she wanted to do. Her friend said, she was constantly dancing at sleepovers. She'd just be in the corner twirling around. That
1: was just her happy place you can tell that definitely comes through on stage all the footage of her at dance competitions and performances and you it's sweet to see you have sisters but there's no sibling rivalry it's not like oh well she thinks she's so great because mm-hmm. she's dancing she just loved to watch Aliyah loved to watch her sister dance and she said I would just cry because she was in her element and we always say people are the most beautiful when they're the best version of themselves and it seemed like on stage big open heart performing like that and putting yourself out there on stage it seemed like where she thrived she
2: led her troop to third place on amateur night at Showtime at the Apollo in Harlem. Look at that. I love that show. I don't know if it's still on, but I used to watch Showtime at the Apollo all the time. Excited to experience campus life, Sarah decided to live in the dorms. Unfortunately, she didn't like her roommates and struggled to make friends, according to Sarah's friend, Lamia Brown, who later testified at trial. In an effort to quell her loneliness, Sarah created a profile on the social media site Tagged. A social network for meeting new people, according to the Tagged website. Under the username Sarah Smile, Sarah began talking to other users, one of whom went by the username LittleYachtRock. I have never used Tagged. In fact, I had never heard of it until this topic They The website does say it's a social network for meeting new people. It has been likened a lot to um, Tinder and also just kind of a place to casually hook up with others in your area. I think it's all geo-targeted, so it's like people that are very close to you. A lot of people use it for hookups and sex, which is, is fine if that's safe and consensual. So if you're in college, you're bummed out, you don't like your roommates... To relate then <laughs> you know you you're looking for connection anywhere and just like trying having something to do i totally get it i mean
1: this was aim or aol messenger for me in college right yeah i, I use aol instant messenger and then zanga live journal we've all used The digital means to make new friends, especially if you feel isolated. I remember around this time, I don't think it was tagged, but the person I was dating in 2015, 2016 was going to college at the time, kind of going back to school, and was saying, Oh my gosh, everybody's downloading this new app. So it comes around, I guess, kind of like Facebook first came out when I was like 18, 19, and it had to be, it was like the thing. And so Mm -hmm. at the time, I, other older people didn't really hear about what, you know, they didn't know what Facebook was back then. And just like that, I didn't know this app, but the only reason why he knew it is because other college students knew it. And mm-hmm. so it's like, we hear about tagged and I'm like, well, I don't use that. Well, I'm also not a college kid trying to make friends. True. And that's completely natural. You know, sometimes you go to the student union and hang out or if you're like, I don't know, these people are kind of, you know, I don't, I'm not fitting in or I don't like them or I just want to change the scenery. That's a geo located of who's cool to hang out in my area I met my husband on Bumble, so.
2: and even if you don't hang out, just talking to somebody online. I mean, everybody, that's what everybody does now. Exactly. Like many college students, in November of 2016, Sarah went back to her parents' home in Montclair for Thanksgiving break. While home, her conversations on Tagged with Little Yacht Rock continued. On November 22nd, 2016, their exchange read, Little Yacht Rock, You want to
1: make money? Sex for money? Sarah replied. Wow. Well, how much money? Little Yacht Rock. How much are you looking for? Sarah. $500? You're not a serial killer, right? LMAO. (sighs) What a final sentence to send. It's heartbreaking because... He purposefully contacted people who he thought would need money. And mm-hmm. because she had worked all these jobs, really wanted to make it, wanted to make everybody proud, you feel pressure, right? And you were gonna maybe go hook up with them anyway. And I I think it's easy for some people to pass judgment and say, Well, I would never do that. But there's a ton of factors in the situation you're in. If five hundred dollars sure is a lot of money for like I said, something you might were gonna do anyway if you've mm-hmm. been chatting with somebody. And he knew that and really played to those vulnerabilities of, well, I can't get her out of the house. And it didn't matter if he said, I'm going to give you $500 or $1,000. He wasn't going to pay. No, no, no. So it was just a way to lure them. Yeah.
2: I feel like we've seen this in a couple other cases where the victim, very, you know, like tongue in cheek kind of says, you're not going to kill me, right? Or you're not a serial killer, Because as women in the back of our heads, that is a legitimate fear. Anytime you make a connection with somebody online or IRL. Mm -hmm. So for her to, you know, even if it was a joke, there was part of her that was like, this could be a really bad idea. And she she didn't even do it at first. So at first she was said, "Okay, I'll meet you. And then she chickened out. And then two days later decided, okay, I'll do it. So something in her gut was saying, I shouldn't go through with this. But when you're dangling $500 out there, sometimes we ignore that. And, you know, it's
1: understandable. I think so. And Tiffany Taylor described how in the days between when she met with him and when they first connected digitally, texting back and forth, how he would text a lot and very aggressively pressury and I wonder if that's a he texts a lot so you say oh well I have his phone we have each other's number that gives you a, a sense of security and also, well, we've texted a lot, so it's set up this sort of trust, right? Well, I don't know him super well, but I, I've been talking to him for a few days. Mm-hmm. That it's not just why well, I just walked around the corner and met a stranger, and then we went off together. It was well, we've you know we've talked, we've talked a little for here, here a and couple there, days, yeah. And he and again, he's doing that on purpose because oh, yeah. he's luring them. You can trust me. Also, there's money involved. Here's my number. Yeah, just different ways luring and grooming for sure. That
2: evening, Sarah began fielding phone calls. Aaliyah heard her sister say, Okay, I'm coming. Making Aaliyah think the person on the other end was impatient. When Sarah went to leave the house, she told her mother,
1: Mom, I'm just going to say goodbye to a friend.
2: Her mother thought nothing of it, as many of the students were in town for the holiday break. Sarah took her mom's minivan and met Little Yacht Rock, who was actually Khalil Wheeler Weaver, at a house in East Orange. Together, they drove to the parking lot of a nearby 7-Eleven. This was just seven days after his savage attack on Tiffany Taylor. Security footage captured Wheeler Reaver going inside to buy condoms, wearing all black, head to toe, including gloves. He then drove them to a nearby nature preserve called the Eagle Rock Reservation, a 400-acre park located between West Orange, Montclair, and Verona. There, 53 minutes after Sarah sent the text,
1: You're not a serial killer, right?
2: Khalil Wheeler Reaver raped and strangled her he then left her body lying in a pile of leaves it was only three miles from her parents home when sarah didn't return that night her parents weren't worried right away instead they called their daughter expecting her usual response letting them know her whereabouts and when she'd be back when they got no answer they became immediately concerned
1: sarah's father told reporters i knew something was terribly wrong And, yeah, they said she was always on time, very punctual. And if she was ever going to be late, she would text and say, I'm five minutes out. I'll be there in five or ten minutes. She didn't want them to worry. So, you know, right at eight, you're like, "Ah, she got caught up hanging out with friends. Let me just text her. Hey, where are you? Give us a call. And they said five minutes when she didn't reply, they said she would have replied. She's Mm -hmm. always responsive to us. And And they have the family car. Yeah.
2: And her sister was texting people saying, have you seen my sister? You know where she is?
1: You, you get that feeling that you just know something terrible has happened. And you, you now learn, okay, she's going to meet a friend or kind of go on a date. Okay, this is a new person we don't know. Where is she?
2: Mm-hmm. While police began investigating what may have happened to Sarah, her sister, Basania Daly, and two friends, Samantha Rivera and Lamia Brown, decided to take matters into their own hands, including conducting searches of the neighborhood. It was during one of these searches that a friend of Bassania's made a crucial discovery. Three days after Sarah went missing, the family's minivan she had been driving the night she disappeared was found on November 25th. Bassania's friend had spotted the blue Dodge Caravan, a short four miles from the butler's home, parked near a former factory, hidden from the main road.
1: And that's awesome that they jumped in. It's sad that they had to do it, but... To say we're not going to sit here Mm-mm. on the sidelines. I'm going to. I'll. canvas will the neighborhood myself. Mm-hmm. And because of that, within three days, I mean, he had attacked Tiffany Taylor what a week before. Mm-hmm. So it was a matter of time before he was going to attack somebody oh, else. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm they sure. were acting out of the urgency of their friend being missing, but also on the flip side, they were saving lives yeah. by getting him. That very true. I I get it. You. Like you said, you're not going
2: to sit around and wait for somebody to just call you and let you know. Oh, we found her, or the worst news ever. I who could sit by? I mean, Mm -hmm. you're just pacing the you know the house. You got to get out there and do something. Soon, police and more of Sarah's friends and family arrived to the scene. It was Bassania that first noticed her sister's red weave on the ground next to the car. It had been discarded along with the small trash can Sarah's mom kept in the car. Everyone's worst fears were confirmed. Sarah was in grave danger. Determined to find Sarah, Bassania, Samantha, and Lamia took their investigative skills to the next level. With knowledge of her passwords, the trio logged into Sarah's cell phone and social accounts. They found the messages between her and Little Yacht Rock untagged and knew they needed to find him. The women created a new profile to try and lure Lil Yacht Rock into messaging them. They were successful. Within an hour of setting up the profile, Wheeler Weaver was asking the woman in the fake profile to meet up. Ironically, the women were at the police station when the notification came through that Wheeler Weaver had taken the bait.
1: That's amazing to not only set that up, think to set that up, but then also to say, we're going to design a profile that's going to lure him. And they did it so perfectly that they got him within an hour. That also shows his mindset that, like
2: you said, he's just looking for his next victim right now. Mm -hmm. It's been three days since uh, he killed her. He's getting ready to repeat
1: the whole cycle
2: again. And this was going to be his next target.
1: Definitely. And if he matched with them, who's to say who else he had matched mm-hmm. within that time frame that just had, not you know, he's still texting, trying to lure them, convince them. So the fact, again, that they got in there and took that initiative saved other people's lives.
2: And they're at the police station. They, they spent hours every day at the police station, giving them any information they could, cooperating any way they, they possibly could. So they're there waiting to talk to some cops when this whole thing is going
1: down. your phone buzzes and you're like, holy shit, we yeah. got him. Yeah. Sinisterhood will be right back.
0: As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.
2: Immediately, Lil Yacht Rock offered money for sex. Just like he had acted with Sarah, Wheeler Weaver became impatient, messaging that he needed to meet soon because he had to leave for work. Stalling for time, the three women placated Wheeler Weaver while alerting the authorities to
1: what was happening. Lil Yacht Rock. What's up? Fake account. I'm just waiting for my sister. She went to the store, so when she gets the baby, I'll let you know. I'll give you the address and you can come. Lil Yacht Rock. What street are you at? What what main street? Fake account. I'm at Cleveland in Orange. You know where that is? So this whole time, he's...
2: Saying we have to meet soon, I have to go to work. And they said when they logged into Sarah's account on tagged, it was the same thing. He was very pushy, like, wanted it to happen really quickly, immediately offered money for sex with her. So the whole exchange with them was almost verbatim just immediately offering money for sex, pressuring, let's get it done right now. And so they had to create this whole story one of them's on the phone she's like well um i'm living at home i have a baby my sister's at the store they then did like a fake three-way call with the other friend to i mean it was very like on the fly the quickest thinking ever in a police station and then they're like so then they pull out another phone to film the whole thing going on so it's just like evidence stacking up on evidence
1: Oh, yeah, they knew to... It's like you said with all the prior victims' friends who said, okay, what do I have in front of me? Okay, I can take a picture of the license plate. I can get his phone number. With them, they're like, oh, we need to talk to him more. Okay, you get your phone. Come over here. You Mm -hmm. film me. They're like undercover. They're better than the FBI. We know exactly how to get him. We're going to hold him off, but not too long. I found it interesting that he had a fixation on trading sex for money. And I wonder if in his mind... He targeted sex workers initially, but given that he was now targeting women on a social media kind of friendly meet app, it's almost like once they agreed to the sex for money, that was when he had target them in his head of, oh, well, they're willing to take sex for money. They're, they're, I'll kill them. They're a whore. They don't deserve. Yes.
2: Yeah, I think he had a huge disrespect of women and that you're absolutely right. It almost justified it in his mind that well, this isn't that bad because they're basically a sex worker. They're a slut. Nobody's going to miss them. You know, they're willing to do this. He was even quoted in NewJersey.com as saying to, uh, I believe it may have been Tiffany Taylor since she's the only survivor, but saying nobody wants me. Nobody likes me. Why do I have to pay for a girl to show me attention?
1: Very incel. Deep disrespect for women. Mm -hmm. And then self-hatred he now hates the women who are willing to have sex with him for money and i want to say too if you go oh well women are monsters and they only want to have sex with me for money so then when they do that and agree to it then he says okay they're a target then Mm -hmm. i i deserve to kill them yeah because the whole time i was trying to trying to piece it together but it wasn't so you watch his behavior and he's because i imagine he he connected with more people than just sarah and the catfish account you know he's on a social media app and the ones that didn't agree to sex for money in his mind it's like okay get lost like i only want to target that ideal that negative ideal of a woman i have and then destroy that Mm -hmm.
2: also he knows and the woman knows going into it the plan is to have sex right off the bat so you know it eliminates like having to have small talk or a date and then kind of try and convince somebody along the way. Like he set it up already. Like this is what's happening.
1: Yeah. And you wouldn't have to get someone to lie down and take a more, uh, less defensive position. If it's like, well, we're driving in the car and he had to be violent, hit them by getting them to agree to sex. Then they're already willing to physically, put themselves in a position as far as like lying down where it seems like he doesn't really want to fight that. It's like he wanted to lure them Mm -hmm. and then take advantage of them once they were already in that position. So he was very adept at luring, tricking, convincing, manipulating, and getting them to believe that they were on a consensual, you know, doing a consensual act. And then that's when he would turn. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you're willing to do it? And I feel like that's whenever he wanted to kill them.
2: Eventually, it was agreed upon that the women would meet Wheeler Weaver at the Panera in Montclair. In the parking lot, he drove up in a BMW. Samantha waved to him, but the meeting was cut short. Immediately, Montclair police swooped in and began questioning Wheeler Weaver about Sarah's disappearance. So obviously, the police knew what was going on, and they followed the, the women to, you know, basically intercept the whole thing. However, at this point he didn't make the connection that they had set him up at all. He he sees Samantha, Sarah's friend in the car who he had been, you know, was the the main person on the the fake account. She waves to him, then he just the police just walk up to his car. Yeah. So to him, like that relationship hasn't been severed with Samantha.
1: Yeah, he doesn't know why they're rolling up on mm-hmm. him. And well, and I think it's strange that he in broad daylight just i guess it's not strange it's bold that he just was cooperative with police just would talk to them and thank god the police agreed with these women and said yes we'll go with you to monitor the situation because they were putting themselves in real danger yes yeah big time wheeler weaver appeared calm and collected he cooperated with
2: police even giving them his real name however because they had not yet found sarah's body they only considered khalil a person of interest Without sufficient evidence,
1: police had to let him go. Which, as her friends, you know is devastating to watch him drive off.
2: I kind of feel like, what was the point of the police doing this if they weren't going to take him down
1: to the station at the very least? Unless they just said, okay, we'll keep an eye on him. Yeah, maybe they were, like,
2: gauging his reaction or something, but it seemed like they had... Pretty much all the information they needed at this point, and all thanks to Sarah's friends and various other women who had last seen, you know, their friends that he then killed before they were taken off. I don't. It's just weird that they would go to this trouble and then just be like, "All right, well, we don't have a body, so you're free to go." They knew they didn't have a body going into it.
1: Yeah, I wonder if it was just because the women had such compelling digital evidence, they were willing to follow that lead. But at the time, if you don't have sufficient probable cause to execute an arrest, you don't want to arrest him, and then you got to let him go, and then, you know, he runs, you spooked him, you freaked Mm -hmm. him out. If you just say, like, oh, you went on a date with that girl, isn't it crazy that she died or she's missing? She might have run away. Anyway, have a great day. Okay, follow him. Keep an eye on him. And so then on the one hand, you know he's not a – The community's not in danger if they're watching him. This is conjecture. I imagine they would, especially given how, you know, the allegation against him was that at this point, he had only abducted Sarah, possibly was willing to abduct someone else because all of these were in different jurisdictions. So you have some stuff happening in Newark, some stuff happening in Montclair, some stuff happening in Orange. So he was... Everything is very close up there. So I wonder if he was conscious because he had Googled police entrance exam of, oh, well, they're not really going to share information until it really gets on their radar. So as long as I stay on the fringe of society on the type of crimes, sex work crimes is when sometimes they'll refer to it as, oh, no humans involved. Okay, Mm -hmm. well, there are humans, but Mm -hmm. and so thinking, okay. As a wannabe police officer, I know this type of victim is not followed up on. And I also know that these jurisdictions don't share information. They have no idea that what yeah. i had done in the other city. And it's only a 15-minute drive. That's true.
2: Four days after Sarah went missing, her body was recovered from the 400-acre Eagle Rock Reservation in West Orange, New Jersey, on December first, two 2016. Her remains were discovered around 11.30 a.m., buried underneath leaves and debris. Sarah's friends and family were devastated.
1: Her mom, Laverne, told Crime Watch Daily, never in my wildest dreams is my daughter gonna be taken from me. Their vibrant 19 year old, who was determined
2: to be the first butler to graduate from college, was suddenly dead. Her devastated parents wanted answers. With the discovery of Sarah's body, police had what they needed to arrest Wheeler Weaver. Once again, Bassania, Samantha, and Lamia came in clutch. Using the fake account they had created on Tagged, they arranged to meet up again with Wheeler Weaver on December 6th. Unaware he had been set up, he arrived at the location expecting sex. Instead, he was met by undercover cops and taken into custody.
1: Yeah, the fact that they were able to lure him, ironically, he had lured everybody else, and now the tables turned and the survivors... I call them survivors because they lost their friend. I mean, they've all gone through something together with this. Now they're the ones exerting control over him, which at the end of the day, we just want him to get arrested. But it's emotionally pretty satisfying. It's very
2: satisfying that he got catfished after catfishing, you know, so many women and doing the unthinkable. It's also, I feel like it really speaks to his mental state that he was just so zoned in on his killing spree that it didn't occur to him that oh well last time i met these girl this girl because he just thinks it's one the cops showed up well okay i'm gonna meet her again you know i mean it was just like anybody that would take the bait he was willing to go meet and that arrogance thinking well i'm untouchable nobody's gonna like flip this
1: the table on me i'm the one in charge here bitch no it ain't (laughs) That's exactly what it feels like is he feels like he was in charge of the situation Mm -hmm. because he had previously spoken to police about a prior victim in a different jurisdiction. And because he was calm, collected, rational, then they let him go then. And I imagine if he thinks, oh, the heat's off of me, if he doesn't know that her body has been discovered, hasn't been paying attention, although I imagine he would have been paying attention. He was very keyed into all of these various cases
2: He liked to go back and revisit the crime scenes when he set the house on fire. He went back just to to watch it burn. So, yeah, uh, I I imagine that he was had his finger on the, the pulse of things. But if they they haven't released any names, you know, and he thinks, well, they did come and question me. But that was kind of it. He also admitted to police on multiple times that, yeah, I saw that victim. We went out and had lunch, but then I dropped her off at, you know, this house and I never saw her again. So he wasn't denying he knew them. In fact, he was admitting, yeah, we we got together, but I didn't do anything wrong. You know, I, I dropped them off and they were still alive.
1: I don't know what happened after that. No, and you're right. I, I know he was trying to follow some of the cases based on some of the digital evidence we'll see at the trial but I know with Sarah it appeared from news coverage that and this should tell you the bifurcation of what the media thinks is a sympathetic victim I suppose where she appeared to have have gotten way more coverage than prior victims and I wonder if it was because of her role you know she was a college student it makes it a more palatable story for the media but because I mean, there was a candlelight vigil held for her at school, and her name was in. Oh, she's missing! This college student is missing. That if he just figured, oh well, the heat's off of me on that because it's she's still missing, and if he didn't get that information that her body was found, he would still think he's he's fine. Mm-hmm. And he did not bury her body. It it was not hidden. He it was
2: discarded among. Trash and debris and rusty pipes, and he really shoddily covered it with leaves and other stuff, but her hands and feet were, were left exposed. You know, it wasn't like he dug a grave and really tried to hide the body. He was very sloppy compared to how he had, you know, previously burned the
1: victims to be unrecognizable. Yeah. It's strange because he just leaves. It's like he's, he was trying to find his pattern and we see the enticement, the luring with the sex for money initially, but it's like at the end, once the act is over, in some cases he just abandoned the body. In some cases he burned it. In this case, he abandoned it out in the elements. The other ones had been in a home or, you know, in a structure, but it's creepy to watch almost in real time the development of this person's willingness capability and he's learning it's like okay well Mm. the fire was too big because it was on the news and it was a huge deal and drew everybody to the neighborhood so this next one I got to hide somewhere where they're not going to find it for a long time okay they found it because it was an abandoned house okay well now this one I'll put out in a uh, park and a Mm -hmm. reservation far off you know but covered enough it's not going to take me too long to do it God knows if the next person he would go traverse further into the woods, you know, to hide them even further. So just watching him escalate mm-hmm. and as quickly as he did.
2: Yeah. And like you said, it's so gross and eerie to think that he, for lack of a better expression, was learning from his mistakes.
1: Yeah, it's very eerie. Sinisterhood will be right back.
2: On December 7th, 2016, Khalil Wheeler Weaver was arrested and charged with the murder of Sarah Butler. In his home, police found three cell phones, two on his nightstand and one under his mattress. While in custody, he was also charged with the murders of Joanne Brown and Robin West. Eventually, Khalil was charged with 11 felonies, including the three murders, kidnapping, aggravated sexual assault, desecration of human remains, aggravated arson, And the attempted murder of Tiffany Taylor. He was indicted by a grand jury and later at his arraignment pleaded not guilty to all charges. At each of his court appearances, stared straight ahead with no expression. The footage is very unsettling. Just the complete lack of emotion.
1: He, bit, he, to me, looks irritated to be there as well.
2: Yeah, he's pissed off. He's irritated. I'm sure he's irritated he got caught. He's probably angry with himself. But he also just has this unwavering demeanor of, I'm innocent. I didn't do this. I'm sorry for whoever did, but it's not me. And it's like, do you know how much digital evidence there is against you, you idiot, that used your phone non-fucking stop do- during
1: all of this yeah and leaving dna behind he had, his dna was under sarah butler's fingernails so it's not like well someone stole my phone and made it all up right. it's like no we traced you to the place using your phone and we traced you to the victim using dna
2: he's also on can- security footage at 7-eleven at the ritz motel when he yeah. took tiffany taylor back i mean there's All sorts of stuff that you just can't argue with. And him saying, oh, I was framed. Those things you can't frame. They can't be
1: set up. Yeah, the amount of time, effort, and resources it would have taken to really frame him on all of this is impossible. It's just impossible. Without somebody knowing about it, it's just impossible. And
2: it's also, you have to ask, why? Why would people, why would the police set out to target this individual when Mm -hmm. it's, it would be, so much effort to do something. I mean, yeah. I'm an Occam's Razor kind of gal. So to me, it's like, what's the simplest explanation here? And also the only one that makes sense because you're, you've literally given everybody a digital trail of your actions.
1: Yeah, he that's arrogance like you pointed to earlier of I'll still show up to the date even though I know the cops came last time. Mm-hmm. I can, I'll, I'll shake them. It's like, I got charged. I'll shake it. It's fine. At the arraignment, Victor Butler, Sarah's dad, yelled
2: out, Why'd you do that? Khalil made no response as the judge called for order in the court. On December twentieth, two 2016, the cases were all consolidated, and Khalil's bond was raised from $1 million to $5 million. His attorney at the time, Chevelle McPherson, told reporters outside the courthouse that the state had no evidence connecting her client to all the crimes, aside
1: from the manner of death. She told CBS News. If they're going to secure a conviction, they're going to have to come up with a lot more than that. And uh that interview did not age well.
2: <laughs> and the prosecutor said, Hold my beer, Chevelle.
1: If you want a lot more than that, here you fucking go. Let us go get the dollies that we they had to physically use dollies to put it in the court. I read an article from the day of this hearing, the consolidation hearing, and I'm going to get choked up, but Sarah uh, Victor Butler is in the elevator, and Khalil Wheeler-Weaver's mom got in the elevator oh, at the fuck. same time. And he reached over and just grabbed her hand. Aww. And then she started sobbing, and he started sobbing, and he just held her, and he they cried together. And he was like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And when reporters wanted to talk to him, he said, I can't, I can't say anything. And they said, well, what do you want to say about this interaction? And he just said, you know, we're going through the same thing. Yeah. It's just that she still gets to see her kid, but we have both lost our kids. And I was like, this man has a soul of a yeah. heart of goal. Like you can't, the amount of love it takes to un- recognize suffering in another human like that. And the fact that he could have been like, you created the monster mm-hmm. that took my child, but to just hold her hand and just be like, I know I it's pain.
2: Absolutely. It's just like, When the Columbine shooting happened and the shooters from that, the moms reached out to the victims of the of the other children to to their families. And, you know, they all have lost a child in a different way. But to see that you're suffering just as much as I am, but in a different way and putting your hatred and what could be bitterness, blame, hatred, Aside to recognize they are grieving and it's just much shock, pain and disbelief as we are.
1: Yeah. And, and hating the actor and hating the act, but understanding that his mom is in recognizing that pain is it's. And she's not to blame. Yeah. Recognizing she's not to blame.
2: Wheeler Weaver's defense attorney's statement would be prescient. By the time the trial began in December of 2019, The state had extensive evidence tying the defendant to all of the crimes. Officials also had to wheel several boxes of
1: evidence into the courtroom, stacked nearly five feet high. It looked as big as if you went to Walmart or Target and there's like a center cap in in between an aisle with, you know, whatever, video games or whatever, Mm -hmm. that big square. I mean, it was box after box after box.
2: Of just text messages. Everything. GPS locations, cell phones. Phone tower pings. I mean, everything. He used his phone for everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were saying this is a true millennial killing spree because he used his phone for everything. Typing in uh, directions, all that. How to poison people. How to... What to use to make someone fall asleep. How Mm -hmm. to dispose of bodies.
1: I mean, everything. It's like we talked about in the Walsh case on that True Crime Headlines where you just see the mindset of where they and when, when mm-hmm. they thought those things and when of how does decomposition work? Okay, he was thinking about that at 4 a.m. on this yeah. date. Is, that's the eeriness of the digital trails we all leave. Mm-hmm.
2: Particularly damning was the extensive amount of digital evidence Khalil left behind. Data from the night of Robin West's murder showed Khalil in the area where Robin and her friend Bernisha were standing around 11 a.m. on August 31, 2016. His phone also pinged at the abandoned house where Robin's body was set on fire. He left at 1.27 a.m., according to prosecutors, drove around the neighborhood and then to his own house before coming back to the scene of the crime to watch firefighters extinguish the two-alarm fire. Disturbingly, Digital evidence on his computer revealed that he had searched
1: online that day for any news reports on the fire. And this made me think of Brian Koberger that we talked about Mm -hmm. in True Crime Headlines, where he commits this act, drives back the next day and is looking for it, and then later is on social media apps, on Reddit, on Facebook, in these forums, looking for information on what everybody knows about it. And what it's almost like, what are they saying about me?
2: Yeah, I think so. And also... How close are they getting to possibly finding me? I think you also, these serial killers have this sick, twisted, dark fantasy and they want to see it play out. They want to see how it's affecting people and the sorrow and chaos it's bringing to the community.
1: Yeah, especially if you had thought about it and planned it and then lured somebody that you want to see the result of your act. Mm -hmm. According to evidence presented
2: at trial. At 3.52 p.m. on November 19, 2016, Khalil had Googled information about date rape drugs. That was the same day he met up with Sarah Butler. He also searched how to erase a cell phone's digital footprint
1: with inquiries like, If I erase all contents and settings, will it track? Adam Wells, the assistant
2: county prosecutor who led the case, said in a press conference,
1: Mr. Wheeler-Weaver was ultimately a millennial serial killer. He did everything on his phone. All that combined with the harrowing testimony of Tiffany
2: Taylor, who bravely faced her attacker in court, made for a compelling case against a defendant. Defense attorneys focused on inconsistencies between Tiffany's testimony and what she told officers the night of the attack, such as when exactly Khalil took off his ski mask. She also testified that she had met up with Khalil once before the night of the attack, with plans to have sex for money. He gave her $200 at that first meeting in his bedroom in Orange, New Jersey, but she took the money and left before having sex with him. The pair later met again after she placed an ad online, though she testified she didn't know it was him who replied at the time. During the attack, Khalil took his mask off and asked Tiffany,
1: Do I look familiar? You took my money.
2: Tiffany explained on the stand not initially revealing this information to officers,
1: saying, I wasn't perfectly honest with them. I just wanted to leave from there. They were treating me really bad. Despite this, she was completely positive it was Khalil who
2: attacked her that night.
1: And when you watch the body cam footage and the amount of uh, animosity that the officers were showing her especially given their threats to arrest her for sex work. And if they say, well, did you know this guy already? You don't want to say, yes, I actually was going to commit the very crime that you're accusing me of just a few days before, you know, a couple weeks before, because that will then weaken what was already a very strained interaction with officers. You know, they're going to take that and turn that against you, which is, again, the importance of having either trained Folks to deal with people who have just gone with sexual through sexual assault trained officers or, you know, some type of social worker on the scene that knows how to to talk like that. Because the defense really tried to go, well, you were lying to the cops. How do we know you're not lying to us right now? And it's like the circumstances aside, if you wake up and you and someone is attacking you, that is going to get burned into your memory.
2: Oh, yeah. And they had the police that were there the night to take her statement testify too, and one of them said I didn't really think it was important because she waited an hour to report this and if someone had just been kidnapped and raped they usually wouldn't wait an hour to call something like that in wow (laughs) wow Uh, people wait years to report things like that oftentimes not at all because of
1: how they are treated when they do report it Because, sir, ironically, the thing that you just said on the stand is why people wait hours or weeks or days. That sounds like a person who's never been sexually assaulted.
2: Also a person that should not be in a law enforcement position.
1: Yeah, or be better trained, Mm -hmm. retrained, something.
2: Meanwhile, the defense argued that Khalil was simply a victim of bad luck. Yes, they admitted he spent time with each of the victims. But according to defense attorney Alexandra Briggs...
1: He had nothing to do with what happened to those girls. The attorney attempted to downplay
2: her client's alleged actions and abilities, saying,
1: We're not dealing with some sort of mastermind. This was a 20-year-old kid.
2: She also said these allegedly false charges had made her client's life a nightmare. According to the Washington Post, his other defense attorney told jurors that the victims had all put
1: themselves in vulnerable positions. This is like a bingo card of victim blaming and slut shaming. Yeah, that is those girls, the sort of a write off of a collective of throwaway, away, not the victims, the beloved family members of the victims. You know, those girls, that those type girls. of girl that that type of girl that would put themselves in that type of situation.
2: And also using his age as an excuse to why he couldn't be responsible is very ironic given that is also what worked for him in seeming Unassuming and, and disarming to his victims.
1: Yeah, they say, oh, he's got a little baby face. He's mm-hmm. only 20. He can't be a horrible ser- serial killer. You don't know how long he spent online researching stuff like this. And it doesn't have to, it doesn't take a mastermind. Back in the day, yeah, you might have to be a chemist, but now there's probably a YouTube video to tell you how to mix up homemade objects or homemade items to drug somebody or knock somebody out you know so to say oh well he would have had to have been a mastermind to do this no he would have had to been tenacious and manipulative yeah. which he was and a lot of 20 year olds a lot of younger than 20 year olds are tenacious and manipulative so have you i mean i was a teenager once so you don't have to say oh well it it's impossible because he was so young granted from a defense perspective You want to frame your client in the best possible light. So, certainly saying, Oh, well, he was, he's just 20. There's no way it could have been him. You can also simultaneously do without the slut shaming and shut up on that part. Just because you have to provide a zealous defense to your client doesn't mean you have to shit on the victims who were killed. You just, you can say, Oh my God, these. Wonderful family member. These women, we are very sorry for what happened. But the statements came off as a bit callous of, oh, he's just been wrapped up in something wild that he had nothing to do with. These women were vulnerable anyway. It wasn't him.
2: I understand providing a zealous defense for your client. However, when they roll in five feet deep with evidence and also... You watch the news, you see everything that's happened, you know all the shit, the evidence before you. I don't know how they can pretend like he didn't do it and then get on this up in front of a courtroom and adamantly say he is innocent. I don't I don't believe that these people believed he was innocent. So therefore, is it a is it a violation of ethics if you know he's lying, if you know your client is guilty, and this is a real question if you know your client is guilty
1: and you get up there and say they're not guilty can you can you do that So if your defense attorney and your client says, "Listen, I did this, what you have to do is say, "I can't now put you on the stand and let you lie I can't." present you to the court, ask you, did you do this? And you say no. And I know that's a lie. I can't. That's against my ethics. So you're not going to testify. Right. (laughs) We're not going to testify. And that's always a defendant's choice if they want to testify or not. And what a defense attorney would say in this situation of even if they said, listen, I'm guilty, then I would recommend and I would have recommended for him, you're 20. You're going to either spend the rest of your life in jail or maybe we can figure out a plea. I doubt it because it was such a slam dunk case. But instead of maybe 160 years, do you maybe get 50 years and you maybe could be out in 75%, you know, whatever the there's a man, mandatory minimum for um, cases in New Jersey. So I probably would have said, hey, maybe we do this and try to negotiate it down. But if they say, no, I want to go to trial, which is what he did because he had this like weird notion that he was innocent, in that case, uh, you went, a, they went a little beyond what I would have ethically said. If you say it's up to the state to prove mm-hmm. my client did this beyond a reasonable doubt, totally fair. Kind of Dick Harpootlian style. Yeah. Oh, he keeps saying that. He keeps saying, you know, you have to prove every single element, every single element, which is fair. And that's what the that's what this defense attorney is there to do, right? You want to make sure your client's rights are preserved, that they get a fair trial, even if they did it. But I don't know that you have to shit on victims and contribute to their ongoing pain and suffering of the families. To me, that's not part of the defense. But to your question of can you stand up and say, my client didn't do that, I would not feel comfortable as an attorney to do that. A lot of of some attorneys would, but I would feel you're not supposed to lie to the court. That's one of the Mm -hmm. (laughs) thou shalt nots of lawyers. And so I think standing up and saying, my client has said repeatedly he's innocent. Mm-hmm. That's a true statement. Standing mm-hmm. up and saying, my client is innocent with no actual knowledge that he's not, then you've lied. And this is why lawyers are tricky and manipulative because you know how, my, oh, how quickly sure. my brain said, how could I get the word client and innocent out there without technically lying? My client has maintained his innocence from day one. Mm-hmm. He is steadfast in his, you know, versus lying to the court.
2: Yeah, to stand up and say he had nothing to do with what happened to those girls, unless, I mean, he probably told his attorneys, I'm innocent. I I would, this is all speculation, but he probably didn't admit to them, yeah, I did this. I, I guess it's my own problem of being able to wrap my head around how anybody can look at this case and even if you're working for him, say he had nothing to do with what happened to those girls.
1: Yeah. And it, I guess you would to sleep at night. You ask him, I have to go give my opening statement. Did you have anything to do with what happened to these women? No. And then you go, well, he told me no. And, I, I. and so
2: you could say my client has repeatedly told me he had nothing to do with what happened to those girls.
1: Yeah, that's valid because he has repeatedly yeah, told you that. I mean, I get it. I'm not saying
2: lawyers are all smarmy (laughs) because I don't think that's the case. But having been around lawyers my entire life, um, there is, like you said, there's a very specific way that they talk to, and that's why they're lawyers. That's why they're good at their job because they do present things in a way where it's toe in the line, but you get your point across. But you just flat out kind of, I mean, to me as a juror, I'd be like, Girl, you know that ain't true.
1: Why are you standing up and saying that? That's insane. Yeah, and, and from your perspective as a juror, you you would be right. And to me, I think this was a weak defense strategy because you do have mounds of evidence. So you just look ludicrous to yeah. stand up and say that. So you could say, we would love to, it's what Dick Harpooli and Jim Griffin are doing right now in the Alec Murdoch trial. They're like, we will go line by line with you of this evidence and we will explain to you exactly why It is what it is. There's a certain blood stain pattern and they don't say there's no blood stain pattern. Cause like Mm -hmm. five different experts said there's blood the other day. They go. So uh, person on the stand, have you ever uh, gutted a fish? No. Well, did you know sometimes blood sprays up on you when you gut the fish? Yes. Did you know the test that you did doesn't determine between fish blood and human blood? Yes. Okay, that's reasonable doubt. So what mm. you did as an attorney, you didn't say, cover your eyes, jurors, for there is no evidence. You go, mm-hmm. oh, there's evidence? Here's reasonable doubt. Here's reasonable doubt of saying, okay, well, it says his phone pinged at the house at this time, and her phone was still pinging. When he left, how do you know that somebody else didn't come in that house and meet her there? Mm-hmm. How do you know she wasn't meeting another uh, her next client there? Why would you say my client had to be the one to do it? Did you test every single phone in New Jersey? Well, no. Okay, that's reasonable doubt. But- To just go, nuh -uh," is not a strategy. No, and it makes you look kind of like an idiot. Yeah, it's just weak. It's Mm -hmm. extremely weak. And like you said, the juror, as we'll see, was not effective.
2: No, they're not buying it.
1: Sinisterhood will be right back.
2: After a three-month trial, Khalil Wheeler-Weaver was found guilty on all charges. Jurors deliberated for just two hours. He was sentenced to 160 years in prison, and under New Jersey law, must serve 145 years before he is eligible for parole. At his sentencing, Judge Mark S. Ali
1: said, The defendant thought all of the victims would not be noticed. He thought all of the victims would eventually be forgotten. At the sentencing, the convicted killer maintained his innocence. He read from a sheet of paper and stated, My heart goes out to the families. However, I was not the person who committed these crimes. I have clear and convincing evidence that I was set up, I was lied on, and I was framed by the Essex County Prosecutor's Office. And it's linked in the show notes. This is like an hour, almost two-hour sentencing hearing. He speaks right maybe in the first 10 minutes. And he speaks a little bit long. He takes a statement out of his pocket and he starts to read it and the amount of time he spent saying my heart goes out to the victim's family was you almost can't hear him of course he's got a mask on this was during COVID. it took a minute for it to go to trial because he was arrested and then you know a ton of pre-trial this much of a big of a case you know yada yada so he's got this mask on but he's going i submitted evidence or i submitted a motion for a frank's hearing and i didn't get it and you didn't listen to me and i just know for sure that uh, detective so-and-so set me up and uh, Adam Wells of the prosecutor's office, they all set me up. And so a Frank's hearing is what he was basically asking the court to determine the factual basis for the search warrant that allowed them to go in and find all that shit in his house. You know, they found all the cell phones. They found, you know, one under the mattress, one of the different phones, one on the bedside table. And a Frank's hearing doesn't challenge what they found in the warrant, but it would challenge the factual basis. So he alleged, Wheeler Weaver alleged, that the detective that provided the factual basis to the court to establish probable cause to get this warrant, he was saying that that detective lied. And then arguably you would say, okay, then anything from that, if you determine that the factual basis is wrong, then the search warrant is tainted and now it's fruit of the poisonous tree. Anything they found as a result of that search warrant needs to get thrown out even if that's true even if the detective lied even if everything they found in his house couldn't be used you still have the other side of it you mm-hmm. still have you can still ask google for his for his digital search history mm-hmm. you can still match the girl's phones you could still contact verizon maybe the physical phones that you took out that doesn't matter if you still are able to use a different factual basis for a different warrant for cell phone data location. So to me, it sounded like he was splitting hairs. He had been Googling or researching, you know, they said he's the ultimate millennial killer. He came off kind of, not quite as a, some of the sovereign citizens I saw in court who had really just Googled bad advice, but it's like he had gotten this idea and was like, oh, well, because they lied on that one thing, all of this should get overturned. I should get a new trial. And the judge was like, okay, uh, I'd like to hear from the state now. Like, he just was like, okay, I heard you, but sit down because it was, it's not, that's not what this is about. It's too late. You've already been convicted. My, my guy, like sit down. There's no appeal in this one. There's nothing to come out on the other side, but just that same fixation on, well, I was lied about and I was right and I'm right. And I deserve a hearing like, no, you don't sit the fuck down.
2: Just trying to get the last
1: word in. Yes. Yes.
2: Family members of Khalil's victims were able to give victims impact statements at sentencing. Victor Butler, the father of Sarah, asked the court to impose the maximum sentence and told his daughter's killer,
1: I hope you suffer, boy, every night. Tiffany Taylor, whose brave testimony helped put her attacker away, told the court, my whole life is different. I don't wear makeup anymore. I don't have friends. I'm always paranoid, but I'm happy to still be here. She told the judge, I hope you don't show him any remorse because he's not showing any remorse. Tiffany later told interviewers with Hulu, I didn't feel like I had the power until sentencing day. I tried everything I could to make sure that the people heard me and that he was going to be locked up.
2: And to face her attacker in court like that, it can't be understated how brave that is, specifically because she had such a shitty history with police and the way Mm. she was treated. She said she hated calling police. She regretted every time she did. She didn't like courthouses. So to put all of that aside for the greater good of putting this guy behind bars, preventing him from doing this to anybody else really speaks to her character.
1: Yeah. And the strength that she had knowing they talk about the moment in the Hulu series when her brother called her because when Khalil was finally arrested, her brother called her and said, Turn on your TV. I think this is him. And then she said she turned it on. It was like they got him. They got him. But that's you still have this feeling of okay. Well, the system failed me before. Who's to say he's not going to just get out and mm-hmm. do this again and come after me again? There are some really uh, beautiful pictures of her hugging one of the detectives that finally did listen. That finally did. And it's like any cross section of society with lawyers or law enforcement or doctors or whatever. There's a percentage of them that suck that are terrible yeah. at their job, and there's a percentage of them that give a fuck and show up every day and give every Free thing they have the lawyers i know that are in that second camp i'm like y'all are god bless and godspeed there's it's a calling and the same Mm -hmm. with this detective that's she's giving him a big hug and they're both crying together where you say i'm so sorry that the people like me failed you before but i swear i'm gonna see this through to the end and the fact that the detective was there with her at sentencing backing her up you know right there and when they finally announced the sentence they had this big hug it doesn't take away how badly she was treated before. But it's at least it's that opportunity to say, we have, I have your back. Even Mm -hmm. if those guys before me didn't, at least I do. They feel seen and heard. Yeah. Even if it's
2: at the very end of everything. Yeah. It can't be overstated how crucial Sarah's friends and family were in catching her killer. Indeed. Essex County assistant prosecutor, Adam Wells told the jury,
1: Sarah's friends and family are the heroes of this case
2: and that targeting Sarah as one of his victims was Wheeler Weaver's fatal mistake. The tenacity shown by Sarah's loved ones to bring her killer to justice provided authorities with the concrete evidence they needed to arrest Wheeler Weaver. That, along with the mountains of digital evidence and the courageous testimony of Tiffany Taylor, allowed for this monster to be locked away for the rest of his life.
1: And Judge Ali said that. He said, let me be clear. The purpose of the sentence today is so that this man will not walk amongst free society ever Mm -hmm. again.
2: He's a judge, too, that you a lot of times judges can judges can be hardened. They've heard a lot on the bench. But I think it's real hard to sit there for three months and hear just the most horrific and heinous things that this young guy did to other young women and see the families and friends of these victims there and that not impact you.
1: Yeah. It's just pain. And you want to say, what can I do in my capacity and power to make this right? Mm-hmm.
2: After being convicted of the previous crimes, Khalil was tied to another murder. 15 year old Mawa Dumbia went missing on October 7th, 2016 Ma was last seen by her father and sister that evening as she was leaving the family home in Newark. She was reported missing, but efforts to find her were unsuccessful, according to a statement by the Essex County prosecutor.
1: This gets me because you have a 15-year-old girl that's missing, and I did a search of her name previous to his arrests and tried to see what Data and information was out about her. What, you know, were the authorities, you know, po- posting, you know, missing teen. We're looking for this teen. And it was like, yeah, she's missing. At what? There didn't seem to be a, a grand effort uh, mm-hmm. around law enforcement. And the problem I have here is that if you just would have looked into what happened to her.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Then three lives could have potentially been saved. And Tiffany Taylor potentially wouldn't have been attacked. Yeah. On April 9th, 2019, decomposed human remains were discovered face down on the second floor of an old carriage house on Main Street in Orange, according to prosecutors. The second floor... Had not been used or accessed with permission for years, according to police, while the first floor was used for storage. An employee of a funeral home located by the carriage house found her body. Investigators could not determine the person's identity at the time due to severe decomposition. An autopsy revealed the cause of death was manual strangulation by ligature. Finally, in November of 2021, the body was identified as Ma was. Reporters from NorthJersey.com asked the prosecutor's office for a comment on the delay between discovering her remains and identifying them, but received no comment other than
1: As far as we know, the remains were there and the home
2: was vacant. Investigators combed through digital evidence and determined that Khalil first made contact with Mawa on the social media app tagged around 1040 a.m. on October 7, 2016, the same app where he met Sarah Butler. He connected with Mawa just five weeks after he killed Robin West and two weeks before he would kill Joanne Brown.
1: So in my eyes, you have a 15-year-old girl that goes missing, and rather than saying, can we get a look at her phone and see who she was with that day, you had cops go, well, she probably ran off and then well she's a you know a young black girl not it's not going to look great on the news doesn't want to just put it out there and make a big deal out of it she probably ran off versus saying we take every case seriously and we're going to look into that the fucking messages were on her phone they were on her phone before joanne brown died they were on her phone before tiffany taylor was attacked they were on her phone before sarah butler was killed they were there the evidence was sitting there yeah and nothing happened
2: it's very upsetting and dist- uh, her family, especially to know that all of it was right there, nobody was doing anything about it. And then three other families are their lives are forever changed because yeah. they didn't just do their job. Yeah. According to the probable cause affidavit, Khalil offered Mawa70 dollars to meet him for sex and she agreed. The two chatted online for several hours. And Khalil even provided Mawa his cell phone number, the same number he had given to his other victims. Their last communication was sent around 1223 a.m. Khalil then traveled to the area near her home in Newark and picked her up. He took her to the vacant building in Orange,
1: where he strangled her and left her body. But again, he's living in Orange, so he drives up to Newark to kidnap her, goes back to Orange. So if they're limiting their search for her to Newark you're not gonna find her mm-hmm. and you're not gonna find your your perpetrator when thing it's just that lack of sharing of information it's very sad to think about a 15 year old girl thinking
2: that she has no options other than to meet this older man for sex for seventy dollars that she met on a social app
1: yeah it's it's hard to see you know that you get that connection, and you think, "Well, I have his number again." It's he's he's lulled her, and she's even more vulnerable than his other victims. And you're right; it's heartbreaking to think that the messages were just going back and forth, and not knowing what was being proposed, not knowing who's on the other end of that. It's it's heartbreaking, but especially how vulnerable she was, being only 15 at the mm-hmm. time. That she, you know she's not consenting to anything,
2: and again, just the arrogance or maybe ignorance. Of him to be like, here's my number, fully knowing that he plans on killing her yeah. and she's going to have his number. And same with all the other victims, too. So he was either a huge idiot, which by all accounts, everyone says he wasn't, that he Mm-mm. did well in school. He came from a pretty good family. Everyone was shocked that this he was even capable of this. So to me, then by process of elimination... It was just arrogance that he thought he wasn't going to get caught.
1: Yeah, I thought that he had Googled enough to figure out how to erase phones. or And he had three different cell phones. So it might be that, you know, he hid those and thought, okay, I bought these, you know, they're burner phones. But you can trace those too. Mm-hmm. You can always figure out who, whose phone that is. Sinisterhood will be right back.
2: Once officials had sufficient evidence, Khalil was charged in March of 2022 with murder, kidnapping, sexual assault, and body desecration. In addition to their texts and messages on the app, the additional evidence tying Khalil to the crime included Google searches for the apartment complex where Mawa lived with her family, as well as Google Maps data for directions from his house to pick her up. Digital evidence also showed his phone traveling directly from Mawa's apartment after he picked her up, to the place where her remains were later recovered. In October of 2022, Khalil was indicted on additional charges including attempted sexual assault of a minor, endangering the welfare of a child, and desecration of human remains. He pleaded not guilty to the charges related to Mawa's murder at his indictment and is awaiting trial.
1: And I think he was scheduled to have a hearing in January of this year, but I haven't seen, it must have gotten pushed So I'll keep an eye on it. I mean, he's in jail for the rest of his life. But I think for Mawa and her family, they deserve justice, too. Mm -hmm. And either he pleads or take him to trial again. I don't think it's a waste of resources to have that closure. I have a question on charges and Mm -hmm. definitions.
2: What does it mean if you're charged with desecration of human remains? That you tampered with the body afterwards? Like, could that even be... In the case of Sarah Butler, she had passed already and he was moving her body and trying to bury it.
1: Well, and with, I believe with a couple of the victims, he had burned them with cigarettes, whether I'm not sure if it would be before or after they died, but that would count. But in under the New Jersey revised statute, disturbing, desecrating human remains, it's uh, unlawfully disturbing moving or concealing human remains okay or so moving and
2: concealing that makes sense yeah. yeah so
1: hiding it for that long and then with mawa attempted sexual assault i wonder if the autopsy uncovered that he had not actually raped her that he only strangled her they said it was manual strangulation by ligature mm-hmm. or if the remains were so decomposed that you couldn't prove that he raped her, that mm-hmm. you could only prove that he had texted her and said, I intend to have sex with you for money. And then meeting up with her, you can say that was an attempt if they didn't have sufficient evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he actually did rape her. But him, you know, uh, luring her there. I mean, all of that is all chargeable. Yeah. And I'm glad they're charging him with all of that. No, that makes sense. The acting Essex County prosecutor,
2: Theodore Stevens, credited the homicide unit and cold case squads for their assistance in bringing the charges in Mawa's case. When asked by reporters from NJ.com in 2021 whether there could be additional victims, Stevens said,
1: There certainly could possibly be others. In fact, there's another case, at least one that we're looking at with a possible tie in. I mean, I
2: would not be shocked sadly if many more cases were linked to him
1: and i think it was joanne brown's friend on the how i caught my killer who said the type of women that he targeted were not considered it's the it's what the criminologist who wrote the article almost i think almost like 20 years now called the less dead where you you have media law enforcement and communities less concerned over the death of People of color, particularly women of color, particularly black women, particularly sex workers. And when those all come together, you you might have a ton of cold cases open and five of them are him, 10 of them. She yeah. made a good point. She said, what well, do you think? He just woke up one day and started and, and just went on a this spree. Maybe before that, rather than using his phone, he was going and meeting women in parking lots and, you know, w- walking down the street and did a less digital version of that. And so... He, If he didn't kill anyone before, if they can't tie any other cases to him, I think certainly he would have continued and, oh, in fact, yeah. was trying to continue oh, you know, yeah. with Sarah's friends. Yeah. yeah.
2: Khalil Wheeler-Weaver will be eligible for parole in 2161 at age 165. Even in the wake of the sentence that ensures his daughter's killer will never walk free again, Robin West's father, Leroy, expressed his
1: sorrow to NJ.com, saying... People say, you won. I say nobody's won here. Justice was served here, but nobody's won. You have five families who have to live a new norm. Three girls will never return home. One will probably live with what happened to her for the rest of her life. And then you have a mother who's watching her son who's going to go to jail for the rest of his life. There's no win here. Just justice has been served. So long road ahead for all five families. Sarah Butler's mom, Laverne, echoed her sentiments of heartache in an interview with NorthJersey.com, saying, I can see her sometimes. I get up in the morning, and she's turning around in the kitchen, and she says, Mommy, what's for breakfast? That's my Sarah, always dancing around the house. Well, so what do we think? This definitely is a case that shows, A, the... Tenacity and love of somebody that can really make a huge difference when you just, like you said, not today. You say, This is my friend. We're not letting this go, no matter how hard we have to fight. All of the families of of everybody was fighting, pushing, pushing there every day at the trial, making sure he was convicted. And I think what the book I was reading, my Zen book this morning, was saying, We should all take suffering and turn it into wisdom. And so there's so much suffering in this case, you know, like exactly what Leroy West said. There's so many families that are broken here. And all you can say is what can, what did we learn from this? You know, what's the wisdom that we can draw from here? And that is we have to have better responses to all crime, not just, and by responses, I mean, awareness, investigation, all crime, not just the crime of good looking white people, young women, white women, frankly, You. it has to be everybody we have to give a fuck that a 15 year old girl possible runaway okay who fucking cares if she ran away or not we still have to find her and not just because in theory maybe a serial killer got her and if we stop him he's not going to get somebody else but just which is maybe true but also just because we have to have that response and that give a shit about everybody we can't just say and and if you if you're hearing this and you feel uh uh opposed to that statement if you say that's not true it is okay it's just statistically true so and just because something's true doesn't mean you agree with it doesn't mean it's your fault but if we don't acknowledge and recognize things that are statistically true like biases in policing biases in coverage of victims if we don't address those, that's when we're complicit. That's when it's our fault, too. But if just recognizing someone, you always say acceptance doesn't equal approval. We have to accept that for a long time as a society, we considered some people less dead. We said that we Paris was ironically had nothing to do with this case, was watching a YouTube breakdown of the depiction of sex workers in media. And if you see, so, oh, it was just some dead hooker. Who cares? That's been used as a, it was as, as recently as The Hangover. That was like a, a bit that they, you know, a run and joke or whatever. And whenever you say any member of society is worthless, less important, eh, whatever, it's just some, you know, whatever, You that's the danger. And I think it's the same with the movie Disclosure, which is about the depiction of trans people in the media. When you say, oh, it's just some, you know, trans sex worker using way worse terminology. But you you get this, uh, you've created a playground for monsters, right? You've created uh, where Khalil Wheeler Weaver said, well, if they're willing to take money for sex, no one's going to miss them because it's just some hooker. I'm going to go kill as many as I can as quickly as I can and they won't catch me. They've been dehumanized,
2: so you therefore... Can disassociate yourself from the act of taking a human life. And now it's, well, this is nobody. It's not that yes. big of a deal
1: dehumanization has been used for genocide for the ages. Mm -hmm. It's just some savages. Oh, it's just, they're just, uh, you know, they're just some Africans. Bring them over on a slave ship. You dehumanize, you separate, you other yourself, and you go, well, we're better. I would never do sex work, so therefore I'm safe, so therefore I don't care. But it's like we said in the first one, all of these women are your family too. If Mm -hmm. you're listening to this, they're your family, they're our family, and the fucked up thing is, Khalil Wheeler Weaver, he's our family Mm -hmm. too. And we have to say, what happened in our lives that were that the and you there are aberrant ones you know there's there's your ted bundy's like he had no chance right that or maybe he did i don't know but you have people that we just you have to turn that suffering into wisdom and say what can we all do and not you can't what i'm saying is the way i'm seeing true crime now this just took a turn but (laughs) but the way i'm seeing it now is that if we look at true crime and consume it to gawk at it then we're no better than the you know, we're participants in a disgusting Mm -hmm. system. But if you say what can I do about this sorrow, I'm looking at it, I'm bearing witness to this sorrow and what wisdom can we gain from it. And then in our everyday lives, be more cognizant when you get an alert on your phone that says a three year old blonde haired blue eyed baby is missing and you want to share that do that. But also when you say a 17 year old black boy is missing, you share that too. Mm -hmm. You, you recognize a bias in your mind and your head. And again, you're not a bad person that you haven't done that in the past. We all just trying to learn together. That's my soapbox. I'll stop.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Happy Valentine's day. (laughs) Happy Valentine's day. This is being recorded on Valentine's day. Yes. Well, to that point, um, on a, to end on a happier note, the love that was shown to these victims by their friends and family it was unprecedented and we should all be so lucky to have somebody like that fighting for us in our corner at the same time it shouldn't fall on the shoulders of the grieving family members and friends to solve their loved one's case the police whoever else should be treating everybody equal and do their job like they would for the whitest and prettiest of girls Mm -hmm. apply that to everyone and maybe we'll get somewhere better
1: no I agree part of the the zen thing is like what meal can I make with the ingredients in front of me and no matter what role you have in the criminal justice system if you're you know the very first officer on the scene or the detective that's in charge of it all the ingredients you have the victim you have is the victim you have and you have to operate from I'm still going to work hard for this victim, not, well, what, what did that defense attorney said? They sort of put themselves in mm-hmm. the position. Well, it's kind and, of their
2: fault. If they didn't want to, this be a possibility, they should have chosen a less dangerous line of work.
1: Yeah, and please, if there is a moral code or religion, whatever, that says, fuck them, they were asking for it. <laughs> point me to that religion because it's probably not a real one you know it doesn't matter what you believe or where you're from we all want compassion caring and love Mm -hmm. and to see it that way and you're right it's very it's on the one hand it's amazing it's an amazing beautiful story that her friends came together and her sister came together to do that but it's the tragedy underneath that is that they had to Mm -hmm. that they couldn't just mourn what was going Mm -hmm. on and they they couldn't just celebrate her life that they had to put their you know put your shoes on and go to work you literally Mm -hmm. have to go walk canvas the streets and find it so you're right what's what we said when we watched the documentary senior for our docuary and Mm -hmm. you know to have somebody show up for you when you're in your most vulnerable place but to see you and love you and i think uh, you know they saw their friend their loved one all these women their friends and loved ones saw them and said no they matter to me and what we need to then say is they matter to us too
2: and they weren't judging them for anything they may no. or may not have been doing. Yeah. It was just I don't care what happened. The fact is they were brutally murdered and that's the only thing we need to be focusing on.
1: Yeah, and that's why and we care. We care what happens mm-hmm. to you.
2: Well, we care what happens to all of you and you'll be listening to this on February 15th, but today is the 14th and happy Valentine's Day. We love all of you and we couldn't be doing this without you. So a big ol' Pink and red heart from us to you. From us to you. Also, happy birthday, Dad. Also, happy birthday, Phil.
1: Well, I don't know if you've heard, but this starting, oh my goodness, less than a month from now, March 7th. It's tour time. We are kicking off the Full Moon Energy Tour. It is a brand new touring show, a show you've never seen before, and it won't be released on the main feed, so you got to show up in person to experience it. Plus, we've thrown in some things, so every show will be different, but you'll also get some of the same stories, but just with a different twist wherever we go. We've got something. It's You can't expect it. It's going to be so good. <laughs> expect I was talking, the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. We are going to so many places. Tacoma. Portland, Denver, Salt Lake. We're going to Austin, Houston, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and more cities that we haven't even announced because we don't know what they are. yet. (laughs) But they're coming. They're coming. (laughs) Where can they get tickets?
2: Sinisterhood.com slash live shows. Tickets for all shows are available now. They're going fast, especially those VIPs. There's only 50 tickets for each location for VIP, and this time we're doing VIPs different instead of the usual meet and greet where you had to stand in a line that was like an hour long. We got to talk to you for a few minutes and take pictures. It was great, but now we're going to be doing a post-show 45-minute intimate Q&A with all of you, and with that, you also get a signed poster. We're going to have the posters and t-shirts available for sale at the venue's if you get a VIP pass, then you get a poster with that. And it's signed by Heather and I. Yes. We which might is draw. priceless.
1: So can't
2: <laughs> no, we'll, we'll put a price it. on that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The poster's a, you know, whatever, $20, $30 value, however much posters are. But the signature is priceless. It's priceless. We'll some, yeah. We'll also,
2: the art on the poster in the shirt is
1: very dope. So uh, you're going to want it we're excited i said is it weird to wear the shirt of the thing i'm doing i mean we didn't design it it's not like look at my great design i did it's like (laughs) look at these very talented merch people that we were able to find (laughs) so yeah check it out sinisterhood.com slash live shows like christy said a lot of the vips are almost sold out and then some of the cities are almost sold out so they're going fast so make sure you get your tickets sinisterhood.com slash live shows see you on the road As a thank you, you'll get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Rolling the Airwaves and Getting Into It tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini and patron-exclusive video and audio content including Am I the Asshole, Relationship Advice, Judge Christie, Dear Sinister, True Crime Headlines, and more. And our patrons in the Getting Into It tier are able to vote on a bonus content segment each month they would like to see us live stream.
2: You also have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We hop on occasionally, and we host monthly Q&As on Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions.
1: For our patrons not in the U.S., you have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit
2: SinisterHood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. And make sure you stick around after our
1: sign-offs to hear your shout-out and our thank-you corner. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. If you want to get our new logo tee design, which we just got our versions in the mail, said we're going to make our husbands wear them, <laughs> as well as uh, our upcoming merch. As We also have our classic t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos. Visit Sinisterhood.com and click on shop on the top banner.
2: The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review and follow on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out you can also share any episode by clicking the three dots in the top right corner and share a topic-based playlist from spotify by visiting sinisterhood.com slash playlist all of this means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more
1: exposure you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. We're also on YouTube and TikTok at Sinisterhood Podcast. Christy, where are you out on the computer? I'm on
2: Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and Twitter and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather?
1: I'm on there. Uh, Twitter at MCK versus the world. And I'm on TikTok and Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey everybody, thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Rosa Ramos Allison Dean Milo Knight Emily Ballard Lily A. Molly Sari Sardinsky, Christina Brittany Bjorklund Gwen Whitney Brittany Holman Jessica Parsons Brandon Sammons Joseph Jensen Katie White Casey Lane Katya Schmidt Kim B. JB
2: Raven Flieger and Casey Cochran, thank you so much for supporting this show. We could not do this without you. We hope you pronounce your names correctly. Stay safe. Stay healthy.
1: Keep it creepy. And now to our thank you corner. Heather, who do we have to thank? We have to thank the wonderful Julia, who I received a box at the post office, you know, our PO box, came, brought it home, opened it, and it was so wonderfully wrapped. I said, I have got to take this to Christy, and we're going to open it together in person. We did. And I brought it to your house. We had a wonderful letter on the front. And then Julia has written a book of poetry. She also designs manifestation journals and sent us candles, one each. I love it. The candles have crystals and flowers in them. It's so pretty. Ella
2: asked if she could have the crystals once the candle is has gone away. I said yes. <laughs> also, unbeknownst to Julia, the manifestation journal she sent is... Very on brand with our tour. And I said, oh, this will be my tour journal
1: because it looks like our artwork. It looks just like the tour artwork. It's beautiful with some moons and like the pages have like faded moons on them. We mm-hmm. were both like, how did she know this was right <laughs> up our alley? She also sent us a mug, which we both really appreciate. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Julia. You can go to the, uh, Julia's link tree at J-U-L-Z-C-B. So uh, Zebra Charlie Bravo there at the end. Jules j-u-l-z-c-b so thank you so much julia for sending that to us and thanks for our tour notebooks now yeah. we have new tour notebooks
2: super and i we hope you can make it to one of the tours and we can thank you in person we would love it we really appreciate you thanks thank you to everyone again stay safe stay healthy and keep it creepy Wah-ha-ha.
1: sinister hood.